We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson I want to talk today about a basic, fundamental need. There are certain things that all of us need to exist in life. Food, water, clothing, shelter. Those are some of the things that we would consider to be a necessity. But I want to submit to you today that there is a basic, fundamental need that all of us have irregardless of our age, race, education, economic status, that basic fundamental need is forgiveness. I love what the psalmist said many, many centuries ago. When he asked the question, he said, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But he followed that up by saying, but there is forgiveness with you. Oh, Lord, aren't you grateful that we have a God who is forgiving, that who will graciously forgive every sin? I want to talk about forgiveness today, and in light of this subject, I want to call attention to a city comprised of people that needed forgiveness If you were going to talk about forgiveness to a friend or family member and you needed an example to share with them, it might be that you would cite any number of references. To me, the best example I know of forgiveness is found among the people in the city of Corinth. These people needed to be forgiven. So I want to begin today by calling attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. The first thing I want you to see in our study is the fact that there was pollution. There was the pollution of sin in Corinth. I want you to listen as I read for you, and you can follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Let me just pause there. From reading this passage, the first thing that stands out to me is that there were a lot of people in Corinth caught up in sin. I know that we live in a day and time in which many people minimize the whole concept of sin. Paul here characterizes the people living in Corinth as sinners. People that had obviously missed the mark. And that is a definition of sin, a missing of the mark. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is 
described by John as the transgression of the law in 1 John 3 at verse 4. So here were people that, for all accounts and purposes, were caught up in sin. There are a lot of people today who are caught up in sin, and sadly there are a lot of folks who are living in sin and have no idea that they're even in sin. They don't even know what sin is. I want to suggest to you today that the devil blinds people to sin. And the idea is that he masks what sin really is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4, Paul identifies the devil as the God of this age who has blinded the minds of them which believe not. He blinds people to sin, doesn't he? Not only does he blind people to sin, but the devil binds people in sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Peter talks about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. In other words, they are imprisoned in a life of sin. They don't see it that way, but they are. They are slaves of that way of life. So here were some folks that were, as we would say, caught up in a life of sin. But then I would also suggest that they were corrupted by sin. Two things stand out here. When you talk about the problem that existed in Corinth, well, it was summed up as sin. But really it was twofold. Number one, there was the problem of idolatry. Paul here identifies the fact that those who practice idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 9 he said, Do not be deceived. Idolaters, you can look at verse 11, and he said, such were some of you. So here were people that were steeped in idolatry. When I was a child growing up in Chattanooga, for the most part, as far as I could tell, most people believed in what we would call the one true living God. There were certain fundamental things that everyone believed. We believed in the God of the Bible. We believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. We believed... We believed in the long ago that God's Word was just that. It was His Word. I never dreamed that we would live in a country where it would be reported in 2015 that the second fastest growing religion in the Southeast would be Islam. If you ever think you'd be living in a country where idolatry would become so rampant we live in a pluralistic age, and there are a lot of people in our world today, they see Jesus as just another God. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And yet idolatry. John would talk about in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, or lies in darkness. He would close that short epistle by encouraging those people in the first century to keep themselves from idolatry. And yet here we are in America today, and we have the problem of idolatry. There was another problem characteristic of the people in Corinth. Not only do we have idolatry, but there was immorality. Listen again to what Paul said beginning in verse 9. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of, kingdom of God, and such were some of you. If I didn't know better, I would think I just picked up the latest copy of the New York Times. I mean, what is said about the people in Corinth could easily be said and well documented in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York City, Washington, D.C. It really doesn't matter. Just pick the city. Look at how these people were living. First, they're living in idolatry. And then secondly, Paul said, look, you're living in immorality. We're living in a day and time when people are living immorally. And sadly, they don't even know that they're living immorally. Isaiah talks about the people of his day who were skewed in their perception of right and wrong. He pronounced a woe to those who called evil good and good evil. Is it not the case that we're living in a day and age when people really don't know that this is truth, this is right, this is wrong? A lot of folks. I suspect if you stop people on the street in the coming days and you were to ask them certain questions, for example, is it wrong to live in homosexuality? A lot of people would say, you know what, I don't have a problem with that. A lot of folks would say, what's the big deal? It's love. Some folks, if you were to ask them, do you have a problem with drunkenness? They'd say no. As long as it doesn't affect me, as long as they don't hurt me, I don't care what a person does. There are a lot of people in our world today, in our country, who are skewed in their perception of right and wrong, truth and error. And so there was a problem in Corinth. They were corrupted. They were polluted by sin. There's a second thing I want you to see, and that is that there was the preaching against sin in Corinth. Let me just begin by talking about the power of preaching. What about the power of preaching? Did you know that the power is not in the messenger? Never has been. The power resides in the message. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Many, many years ago, Jonah, the great prophet, was instructed by God to preach the preaching that he had bidden him. Haggai said in the long ago that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. I want you to think about this for a minute. If I were to ask you, what do you think is a glaring need in our country? If you had the opportunity to speak face to face with the Lord and you could say, okay, Lord, here's what I think we need. What would you say? Could I say this to you? We do not need God to raise up for us in this country more politicians. You agree with that? We don't need more politicians. We've got all we need. I'll tell you what we do need. We need God to raise up preachers who will preach the word. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. 
We talk about politics. There are a lot of people. They live and die by politics. Some of you here, you might be a hardcore Republican and you're following a party symbolized by an elephant, aren't you? Some of you may be followers of the Democratic Party and you are represented by the symbol of a donkey. I'll tell you what this country needs. We need another party. It's not the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. It's called the Christian Party. And the symbol of the Christian Party is a lamb. The lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The people in Washington, look, for any good that they do, I give thanks. There's not a politician today that has the power to turn this country around. I don't care who it is. It doesn't matter if he or she is black or white. The only one that can turn this country around is the Lord. And the only way to turn this country around is through the word of the Lord. In the first century when the church began growing and bustling, do you know what? The early church did when they were scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the word. Why? Because they realized the word of God has the power, had the power to change the hearts and lives of people. Look at the people in Corinth. When Paul went to the city of Corinth, he went into that city and what did he do? Try to find out what kind of social programs would be best for that city. Did he step back and say, you know what? What we really need to do is politically think about how we can address the moral ills of this country. No, he didn't do that. Luke says in Acts chapter 18, verse 11, he spent 18 months in that city. You know what he did? He taught the people. He preached the word of God to them. That's what we need today. A lot of the problems that we face in America could be corrected if we'll just go back to the book, if we'll go back to the word of God. The reason we're in such trouble is because we think we know more than God. We've got the idea that we're too sophisticated, too smart for this book. Let me tell you what. This book right here has the answer to the problems that our country faces. Until we go back to this book, we are going to continue to slide further and further into the abyss. It's just the way it is. So we talk about the power of preaching. And then what about the purpose of preaching? Why do we preach? Why do we preach the Word? Is there a reason? Let me suggest, first of all, we preach to evangelize. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, what about the people in Corinth? When Paul arrived in Corinth... Did he survey the city and see people steeped in idolatry and immorality and say, you know what, these folks are beyond hope. No sense in me going there and trying to convert these people. No sense in me trying to take the gospel to them because they're lost. They're steeped in sin. They don't even care. He didn't do that, did he? How quick are we to write people off? We see, we see people living in fornication. We see people living in homosexuality. We see some people that have a problem with alcohol, and we write them off. We say, you know what? They'd never be interested. Paul didn't do that. Paul went into the city of Corinth, and he set up shop. You know what he did? He preached to those people. He taught those people. As a result of that, guess what happened? 
A lot of people in Corinth obeyed the gospel, didn't they? You might ask the question, how do you know that? How do you know that Paul was successful in the city of Corinth? Well, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18, in verse 8, that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. You mean they obeyed the gospel? That's exactly right. You mean to tell me that there were people in Corinth that had at one time been living in adultery, fornication, idolatry, homosexuality. Some were thieves. Some were drunkards. Some were extortioners. But you see, the power of the Word. Is it the case that we do not give God and His Word enough credit? When God said that His Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, did He know what He was talking about? I think He did. What we need to do is put our faith in this book and realize that people have the ability to change. Sometimes people say, I can't change. You can change. They did. If they did, you can. As simple as that. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, you know what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man, if any man's in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Here were people at one time, they'd been living in sin. They obeyed the gospel. What happened? Came out of that way of life. They had a brand new start. And God will give you a brand new start. He'll give you the opportunity to put your past in the past, to walk away from that old way of life, and to live right. Choice is yours. So number one, we preach to evangelize. Number two, we preach to edify. And by that I simply mean we try to build people up in the faith. When Paul talked to the elders of the church of Ephesus when he was in Miletus, he said to those men in the long ago, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. Paul is saying that the Word of God has the ability, the power to build you up and to give you an inheritance. We have an inheritance. It looms before us. It is undefiled. It's incorruptible. It fades not away. Peter said it's reserved in heaven for you. So we teach, we preach to evangelize and to edify. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, to those who had recently obeyed the gospel, he said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you might grow thereby. In chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Peter, he said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know that God has the ability to change the hearts and lives of people. How does he do that? Through his word, through his message, and by using human instruments messengers. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he asked the question, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Ministers through whom you believed. Power is not in the man, it's in the message. So, there was pollution. There was the pollution of sin in Corinth. There was preaching against sin in Corinth. And the third thing you need to understand there was pardon from sin in Corinth. First, 
I want to say to you that God cleansed these people. Read with me again, picking up in verse 9. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to him. And such were some of you. But he said, you were washed. Did you know that God has the, the ability to forgive your sins? And you think about that for a minute. God has the ability, he has the power to forgive any and every sin. Well, what kind of sin? You mean to tell me that God would forgive me even if I am living in fornication, in adultery, homosexuality, if I'm a thief, if I'm a covetous person, if I'm a drunkard? You mean to tell me God would graciously forgive me. That's exactly what I'm telling you. God has that kind of ability. God will forgive every sin. Think about Pentecost Day. Here's the Apostle Peter. He's preaching the first gospel sermon. He indicts those people as having crucified and slain the Son of God. Now you talk about the worst of the worst. We sometimes categorize sin. We say, you know, this is a big sin. That's a little sin. This is mediocre. What if you were guilty of putting Jesus to death on the cross? Would you think I'm beyond hope? Would you think there's no way God would ever graciously forgive me? I mean, after all, I put his son to death. I may have stood at the foot of the cross and jeered him. I might have been one of those who said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. Well, when they heard this gospel sermon, Luke said they were cut, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Did Peter kick those people to the curb? Say, you know what? Those of you guilty of putting the Son of God to death, it's over for you. Let's go back home. Nothing else can be done. No, he didn't say that. Here's what he did say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, that is, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if God in heaven would forgive those who blatantly put his son to death, will he not forgive you? I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you've said. I don't, I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter how deep you may think you are in a life of sin. And you may say, there's just no way a loving God in heaven would ever forgive me. That's the devil's lie. The devil wants you to think you're beyond hope. He wants you to think God would kick you to the curb. Not so. God will not only forgive every sin, but the Bible tells us he will forget every sin. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is that God will, once forgiven, never bring up again what you've done in the past. Here's what he said, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, it might be that, that there are some things in your closet, spiritually speaking, 
And you would just as soon leave those things in the closet. It might be the case that there are things that you've done and you think, you know what? God, God wouldn't forgive me. No way God could ever forget my past. Oh, yes, he can. When God says he'll do something, he'll do it. God is telling us, I can forgive every sin that you have. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God can forgive you. He'll forgive every sin and he will forget every sin. In other words, it's gone. If we, were, if we had a blackboard up here and it were full of writing and full of colors and we were to wipe that slate clean, that's the picture. As Isaiah said, though your sins may be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Beautiful thought. So first, God cleansed these people. And number two, God claimed these people. They belonged to him once they obeyed the gospel. Listen to what he says. Verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, that is, you were baptized into Christ. He said, you were sanctified. They had been saved by the blood of Christ. They enjoyed the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so God now claims them. He says, you are my sanctified people. The word sanctify means to, to set apart, to set apart from the world unto God. The idea borne out by Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, when he said that we have been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are, as the Hebrew writer said, the church of the firstborn ones. In the Old Testament, the firstborn, according to Moses, in Exodus chapter 13, it belonged to God. He said, set them apart. Whether man or beast, it's mine. What God is saying to those in the church, you're mine, you belong to me. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he could say, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So you are sanctified. Furthermore, not only are you sanctified, but you're a saint. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And again, think about it. These folks living in idolatry, they're living in immorality. He addresses those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You mean to tell me, whatever my past may be, God will forgive me, He will cleanse me, and then He'll claim me as one of His own? That's right. What He's saying is, you are sanctified. He owns you lock, stock, and barrel. You've been set apart for Him. You are a saint. Can you believe that? Here are people... Here were people in the first century. They had been living in idolatry and morality. And God is saying, you're a saint now? How many times do you hear people say, I'm no saint? If you're a child of God, you're a saint. So they were sanctified. They were saints. And the encouragement was to these people to be steadfast to the very end. Furthermore, they were justified. They stood before the Lord in a right relationship to him. I want to close by asking you this question. Do you need to be forgiven today? If you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, by that I mean you don't believe or you haven't acted upon your faith. You believe Jesus to be the Son of God. You believe that He is exactly who He claimed to be, but you've never repented of your sins. 
You have never confessed the name of Christ before others. You've never been baptized into Christ. Could I tell you today, could I tell you today that you need to be forgiven? Because you see, in your situation right now, as Paul said, you're without hope. You're without God. You can't afford to leave this earth because you'll step out into eternity lost forever. It might be that you're here today and you're unfaithful. For whatever reason, you've left the church, you've left doing what's right. As Peter said, they've left, they have forsaken the right way. And maybe you're back in the world and it may be that you're living as some of the Corinthians did. I want you to know there's hope for you. I want you to know that the door is wide open. God will graciously take you back. He'll bring you back into fellowship with Him. What do you need to do? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray for you and with you today? All of us today have very specific needs in life. I would imagine in an assembly this size, there's somebody, young or old, that needs to be forgiven. You may be sitting there thinking right now, I need to respond. I want to encourage you, make the right choice. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.